When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 553 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Eye Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and yes, you hear it in my voice, you might see it on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Still not feeling great, and believe it or not, I learned that if you do a match headline the day before, and then you do five hours of broadcasting for a doubleheader basketball game, your voice doesn't enjoy that, and it doesn't feel better. So (laughs) I'm looking at Rory Barlow. And I thank him for joining the show and helping me recap what was that match against Osasuna, which winds up being another huge major talking point because, Rory, it's funny. You and I scheduled this show before I knew what would happen to Osasuna, obviously, but also before I had Sam Marsden to come on to talk about the fact that Shafi was had announced to leave the club. So this was always on our, our schedule on our docket, <laughs> and I feel like this has been such a crazy busy week. And the only reason I say all that is that, yes, I somehow sound worse than I did in the other times that I spoke this week. But that's because this week and all the things that are going on with Barcelona are certainly adding up on me and my voice. Yes, I, I was going to say how much of it is related to uh, Barcelona's ailments. And uh, and yeah, power to you for soldier and Farouk because you're you're doing a good job. And uh, yeah, bringing, bringing the good content to the listeners when uh, when it hurts most. Uh, I appreciate that, Rory. Let's jump right into yesterday's 1-0 Osasuna win. And I think where we begin is kind of an easy, we'll, we'll do a soft landing here with, with Vita Roque. <laughs> because I have been pretty devout in 
every time somebody brings up an alarm bell about, well, because he was Deco signing, which is true, and he wasn't necessarily Xavi signing, and he was a, a, a big money signing. When I say big money, money that we now know the club doesn't necessarily have to have spent even on Vitor Roque. But he comes in from Brazil, uh, one for the future, of course. And now he's in an odd spot, too, in Vitor Roque that with Xavi leaving, Vitor Roque wasn't even supposed to arrive until January. The only reason he was able to be registered, he becomes a free agent, actually, or a free transfer, which never really happens when the players are transferred in. Their agent, obviously, and the players, they chose to come here. They want to stay. So Barcelona will find a way to register him for next season. But the point being that they, because they got that, whatever you want to call it, uh, the exception, because of Gavi's injury, that's the only reason why Vitor Roque did come in January. We've, we've learned that now. That is true. It wasn't that Barca found a way to get Vitor Roque here in January. It's that Gavi goes down, and now he can be registered. So it's a weird situation now between Xavi and Vitor Roque because Vitor Roque, whatever he gives Xavi is great, sure, but it doesn't really help Xavi's future. It doesn't help him keep the club. So if, if Xavi doesn't think that Vitor Roque can contribute today or tomorrow or you know in the immediate future that's why he's going to be on the bench but now we're also seeing that including yesterday mark you also had a fever ferran torres goes down and you called it out barcelona has 12 total when ferran torres went down with a hamstring injury and this is only because fermi lopez registered at number 16 so he's now an official first teamer so that brought barcelona's total back to 12 or, or down to whatever you want to say. So they're at 12 <laughs> first team players. So over the next few weeks until at least Rafinha comes back, Vitor Roque is needed. But as I said, I'm not worried about it because whatever he contributes, including yesterday's goal, is a net positive. I'm not worried if he doesn't score another goal, but I assume he will. I assume he'll end this year with at least three or four goals just because he's a spark plug who is going to find the back of that in some way in the next five months. Yeah, I mean, his, his contribution against Osasuna was pretty golden, I think, almost, because, look, if Barcelona don't get that goal, if they don't get that win, already the reaction to that performance, to that game, has been pretty negative, regardless of the win. And if it had been a draw or defeat, especially if it was against 10 men, then, then yeah, it would have been, again, kind of really kind of chavy up against the wall, basically taking shots from the media, and he's, he's not far off it right now. So, so yeah, Vito Roque, I think... In terms of his signing, yeah, we can question the kind of utility of it. And personally, I think I, I would have gone a different direction in January. I think, yeah, Xavi, either he sees Vitor Roque and he says, right, okay, this is what we need. This is somebody that can come in and contribute now. Um, and that could save our season kind of thing. And I know that's a lot of pressure to put on an 18-year-old or anybody who comes in, let alone if they're 34, um, if they're 28, Regardless of who comes in, it's a lot of pressure to be like, you are the one signing that can fix us or can potentially fix us ahead of this kind of second half of the season. So it's a lot to put on anybody. But if Barcelona are to make one movement, if they are to make the effort to kind of bring somebody in, then you would have thought, yeah, perhaps maybe somebody that's going to be able to contribute a bit more, somebody that Xavi at least has a bit more kind of faith in that he can uh, be a difference maker in that second half of the season. Or if not, then maybe you just leave Vito Roque there to develop again, to recover from his injury kind of thing. But having had him there, having got him now, it is going to take him time to settle in. And if there's one thing I do think Xavi probably doesn't get enough praise for, and it's something that he pointed out himself in his uh, kind of uh, post pre-match press conference before Osasuna, it's the youngsters. And the fact that 
okay, Lamine Yamala, for me, probably playing too much in recent games, four games in a row starting, playing the full games, a bit of extra time in there too. Pauku Barsi has, has been playing a lot more now lately, but he has kind of stunted Lamine Yamal's progress into the side. With the likes of Fermin Lopez, he hasn't been too gung-ho too early. Same with Gavi, and okay, they overplayed Pedri, but the Pedri thing wasn't entirely Chavi's fault, to be perfectly honest. Perhaps they rushed him back a little bit much, but Ansu Fati, again, you look at his injuries, that was mostly under Koeman that that occurred. So, so yeah, Chavi, if there's one thing that he has done very well, it's bring youngsters in, not give them too much responsibility too soon, with perhaps the exception of Balde. I think that wasn't necessarily his choice to to kind of uh, give Balde so much responsibility, but financially Alba had to go. So, so yeah, there's a lot of kind of cases where you can look at it and say, yeah, okay, maybe these players are very young and they're coming in and, and ideally you wouldn't be using them. But given Chavi does have to use them, we know that because they have 12 players left. Uh, I think he's done a pretty good job of easing them in. And it would have been so much easier for him to kind of throw, throw the tiger to the lions in, in the case of Vitor Roque. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he's, he's easing him in. And I think he's trying at least his best to kind of look out for him and to, to give him a slow start, a soft landing, as you say. Well, it is a challenge coming with these five headlines, and I am telling you, I'm being honest to your face, Rory, that I am absolutely stealing Tigrino to the Lions. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> That's that absolutely okay. If someone else already hasn't taken it, these five headlines, it's difficult to come up with five new ones every time. So I'm, I'm very <laughs> in the future. It's funny the way you said, one of the things you said is terms of when a player comes in that Xavi doesn't necessarily trust, and you put the weight of the world on his shoulders, whether he's a teenager or an older player, because that's what I was thinking watching the game. And we talk a lot about these ambiguous ideas like control and pace and things that people try to, and it, I do the same thing too, because when you do a match review, you're trying to say, does that minute matter more in terms of structure and formation, all that stuff? Does this random sequence in the 17th minute, does that matter more than this random sequence in the 83rd minute, right? And every, you say it with a screenshot, especially on social media, a screenshot can tell you nothing but maybe <laughs> if if you watch the whole game and you know that it's indicative of something so i only try to show show you know screenshots of formations and and structural patterns if i notice that they are those which are patterns and not just these one-off occasions where oh Lewandowski is over here therefore that is an issue that Xavi needs to address but when you say about a player and the player that seems like you described i know you were talking in that case about vita roque but i heard oro Romeo because when i'm watching that game yesterday especially with Pedri a bit deeper, because this is where I want to jump into now, that, that midfield. Because now with Ellis Gar Garcia, the club apparently wants to pay his release clause, which is 15 million euros for the summer, which I think is a great piece of business, especially if Girona's going to win the league. Keep him with Girona, obviously now. He wants to come to Barcelona. He's Catalan, so 15 million, get it done. And I, I, I talked about the Frankie de Young 37.5 mil and how it's his choice to leave. And he's got a contract until 2026. So that's a different thing, but... Again, if pigs fly on Frankie de Young, I'm not trying to force Frankie de Young out, but if he says, yeah, all right, I, I will take a, a whatever it is. I'll take a deferral, uh, deferral of some of the money, and I'm willing to put my, you know, allow another club to come for me, and, you know, I, I don't want to be part of a new a new coach's project or whatever, then so be it, and that'll get Barcelona out of their, their biggest financial issues, as well as whatever happens to Lewandowski, because he, I believe, goes up to almost $23 million, which is just absurd. But back to the Romeo point, Thinking about this season, all the injuries, sure. I think I put that just like last year, number one on the list. Why did things go sideways? 
injuries to key players or in key moments and weird times. Again, Barcelona's biggest game so far, they were missing Pedri and De Young for, as well as Araujo or Koundé. So that's just been an issue they've had this season. Oriol Romeo's transfer is a worst-case scenario to me in terms of the player that you and I watched and enjoyed at Girona last year and the shell of who he has been at Barcelona. I think for those who are like, I know Romeo, I saw him at Southampton, I've seen him around, I didn't believe in him fully. No, of course, I did not think he was coming to replace Busquets. But for me, what I had said was I felt he was a floor raiser, and I thought there was a floor to him. But this version of him is a worst-case scenario of the player that he was at Girona and a worst-case scenario of the player that Barcelona bought even for 3.5 mil. And what that has meant is that not even a proper CDM, but a stopgap CDM has been unavailable for them, where he's been unplayable. You know, if you had asked, you know, and you, you say this about Xavi, and I agree with you too, that the biggest, we'll say compliment I'll give him about the youngsters is people say, oh, he's not having players p- progress at all, whatever, but these youngsters are not losing confidence. And it's, we can praise their mentality, but all of these youngsters that have come in looked ready to contribute. So something is happening, at least in training, where Xavi is saying to Mark Yu, I trust you in this way fully, and Mark Yu has been up to it. Kabarsi has been up to it. Hector Fort, who I worried about, has been up to it. Lamine Mall has been up to it. So any of these youngsters that come in, even if, again, Balde did not, he seemed to regress. Is Pedri still getting better? Or is he, not say regressing, but is he stagnant in what he's contributing to the team? The players that are supposed to be progressing, they're not necessarily doing that, but the youngsters all look prepared. Order Romeo, again, is almost the opposite of that, that he looks like the teenager who shouldn't have, who made the transfer too early. He is almost looking confidence-wise like what we expected Vita Roque to be, which is just a wide-eyed, you know, what am <laughs> I doing here? And so without a CDM, that means there is no rest for Gundogan. There is no rest for Pedri. And I brought this up with yesterday's show. I brought this up with a bunch of different shows. Gundogan, to me, more than any other player in the squad right now at this moment, it was Cancelo before he got hurt, but Gundogan looks tired. He looks tired, and, and I think when you talk about Barcelona's control, you need De Young firing, sure, and Pedri dropping deeper is interesting, but I, I think to me, it's not even a problem of Gundogan, but I, I just wish the guy could rest because I think him not being, or him being thrown out there 90 minutes, game in and game out, is not good for Barcelona's structure from minute one to 90. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? 
Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... With Romeo, it's so it, it's so interesting because I think with Chavi, we can criticize him and we do and we will. Um, but there's so many things that have gone wrong for Barcelona this season that it's very hard to kind of pick through all of these things and say, well, okay, point the finger. That's your fault. That's this person's fault. Um, it's very hard to kind of yeah put the blame in in one section because so many things have gone wrong. And it's the same if you look at towards next season and you kind of look right. Okay, well, Chavi. Who do we get in? Who can solve this? Who can sort these things out? Is Xavi doing a good job? But then you also look at it and you're like, well, he's doing probably worse than he should. But right. how many managers would be successful in this uh, in this system, in this kind of setup, in what he's been given? And it's the same with Oriol Romeo. I mean, how many kind of defensive midfielders who aren't at that top, top level would be dominating the game for this Barcelona side, side right now? Because you take Romeo and... Let's not forget those first five, six games, he looks pretty good. He's probably amongst Barcelona's kind of five, six best players. Um, and once that structure goes, once Gavi goes down with injury, once all of these things start falling apart, you get a player that, yeah, is limited. He's not quick. He's not kind of a, somebody to kind of put himself about too much. He should be operating in a small space of the pitch and being asked to do certain particular things as he was at Girona. I think what ultimately Xavi foresaw for Barcelona was... Not necessarily Girona, because, I mean, we're all holding them up as the pedestal now, but they weren't that before this season. But he foresaw that he could work in that kind of system, whereas now Xavi has either gone away or been unable to implement that system that he saw Oriol Romeo in. And Romeo is he's a particular player. He works in certain circumstances. He works if you're asking, asking him to do 
particular things. But if you give him a, a disjointed side that's really kind of open and, and unstructured at the back, then he's going to be exposed. And it's the same thing that I think we've seen over and over again with Barcelona players. You look at Joel Koundé, who's been dreadful really, really for a couple of months now, but he's playing out of position in an unstructured side. He's probably not getting a huge amount of help from Lamine Yamal either, whereas that's kind of a contrast to what you get with Rafinha, who does help back a lot more. Um, there's just so many cases where you look individually and you say, OK, this player's not performing. They're not confident. They're not doing as well as they should be doing. And part of that's on Xavi. But also, yeah, how much of this can be put on them when so many things around them are going wrong? And it's the same for Lewandowski. It's the same for, for Rafinha as well. There's so many cases of this where you say, Part of this is player, part of this is manager, part of this is structure, but all of it going wrong, it's just going to lead to the same thing for every player. But Romeo, obviously, you say about floors, he has a much lower floor than the quality of somebody like Lewandowski, even though he's probably the the punching bag for everyone right now, um, or the likes of kind of Pedri, Gavi, Dion. These players are quality, quality players, whereas Romeo's probably not at that level, even if he does have things to offer the side if it's working. Yeah, there's these if-then statements because against a five at the back of Osasuna, Jules Kunde is supposed to be overlapping. That's what he's supposed to do. Because you have, whether it's Kubarsi playing as that left center back with three at the back, or it's the fact that, again, because you're playing in a 3-2-5 and Kinsello isn't necessarily a 1v1 left winger, that means that Kunde had to stay at home. So Kunde staying at home means he can't overlap. So you almost make an excuse for him, but against a five at the back, now, he's not doing what he's supposed to. But again, that's like a function thing where Barcelona has to, to... And it seems like you go around the pitch and you say, that player can't do X. Therefore, then this other player can't do Y. You know, And I think to that point, <laughs> you mentioned Kunde, but Araujo yesterday, I complained about the Vita Roque penalty, which to me was absolutely 100% a penalty. But to, to the point of people who brought it up, it's fair. I actually, I, had, I, I was having a coughing fit when Arahu brought down former <laughs> Barcelona player in Jose Arnaiz. And so I didn't write it down. And that was my bad because that was also a penalty. So a penalty should have been, yes, given to Osasuna yesterday. And a penalty also should have been given to Barcelona. So just toward refraining for me. But to back to the point about Gundogan and Pedri, because I want you to weigh in on who should play deeper and who should play farther forward. Because I've come to the conclusion that both answers are wrong and both answers are right. But both answers feel more wrong because they're not optimizing either player. And yet, Kunawan plays so much of his season in the deeper position, also because Pedri was hurt for most of the season, what's new. But I'm going to say five names to you. Igor Aspas, Iago Aspas, rather. Rakitic, who is obviously, congratulations to him on his league career. He's moving on. Tony Cruz, Isco, and Kunawan. Of those five players, I'm setting you up here. Isco, uh, Aspas, Rakitic, Kroos, Gundogan. What do you think their chance creation, so the number of chances they created in the Liga this season, how do you rank those five? Where would you put them? I don't know if you've seen this list. That's a cracking question. I'm going to have to go Isco top because he's been, everything's been going through him for Betis. I'll go Kroos second. Aspas has been in and out, so I'm going to put him fourth, Gundogan third, and Rakitic bottom because Sevilla have been dreadful but I assume you're going to tell me that Gundogan's top of this list now. He's not. He's Isco with the red <laughs> right. But but the, the crazier part is that Isco's at 66 chances created. Gundogan's at 60. Just six less than Isco. And then Aspas 58. 
Rakit is 49 and Tony Cruz 43. And this is not to call you out for some reason, like, oh, he's, he's an anti-Barca bias. I'm saying that Gundogan is closer to Isco than Tony Cruz is to Gundogan by, by, a, by a margin, too. I mean, Gundogan's mm. got six chances less created than Isco, and Tony Cruz is 17 less than him. So my, my point there is that this perception of Gundogan and what he's not doing in the Liga, or what he's not doing for Barcelona and what he's expected to be for Barcelona, the stats are not bearing fruit for that. Because I agree with the same thing. The way that we talked about Isco and the way I've seen it from Isco, I'm like, man, that dude is, he's pulling every string for Real Madrid. And yet Barcelona yesterday with Gundogan playing farther forward did not, he had one forward pass, one forward pass in the first 45 minutes. And people feel like that is more indicative of what we've seen from Gundogan. Because again, the stats are not bearing fruit to the eye test, which is something that with the exception, I'd say, of Lewandowski and Araujo struggling, which the eye test tells us they're struggling and they are indeed struggling. But other than that, the eye test is in, and the stats are not uh, coalescing to, to give us any idea of what's happening because we know that this midfield for Barcelona is struggling. They're not putting cohesion together. And so when it comes to Gundogan and Pedri, Xavi's got a weird problem where Gundogan mathematically is the one. Barcelona plays better when he is farther forward. And I think now we're almost seeing that opposite where I had said I wanted to see more offensive stuff from Pedri this season, and the numbers are not bearing fruit, that he's not picking up assists the same way that last year, the lack of assists last year, as we talked about, his expected assists was an albatross. I mean, it was just his, the players weren't finishing. But this year, that XA is way down. He's not really creating any assists in the final third. So it makes, at this point in the year, a ton of sense to play him deeper and go to one farther forward. But yet, even yesterday, that totally didn't look right to me either. Yeah, honestly, I I would be tempted to go away from those three because I know that they're the three best midfielders. Or if you are going to play those three, then play a fourth midfielder because I just I don't think that they can work together. Their skill sets are far too similar. I think it doesn't make sense to have somebody probably quite clearly unhappy with their role at some point. I mean, if, if one of them is deeper, they're not going to be comfortable in it. We know that Petri that's not what he's kind of been brought up doing. It's not where he kind of grew up playing. He, he, he was always kind of off that front kind of, if he had a 4-2-3-1, he was in that kind of three behind the striker kind of role oh, somewhere left, around yeah. there. And he's a left winger for Las Palmas for when he was 15 and 16. Yeah, that's, that's where he came into the side. So so that's where he's kind of grown up. We know that Gundogan can play there, but can play there with who next to him. I mean, he played there for Dortmund in a deeper role, but he had kind of Sven or Lars Bender next to him. He had uh, Rodri next to him for City as well, obviously. He's had players next to him all the time that have been more concerned about the defensive side of things. And then De Jong, we know that he just... There's something about him that doesn't allow him to kind of realise exactly where he should be at the right time. And it's a, it's an internal thing. I do think sometimes defensive instincts can be internal. And in theory, defence, and it's something that I kind of fall back on all the time, is defence is something you can coach. It's something that you can tell people where to be, when, what to do when the ball goes here, that kind of thing. It's something that Barcelona clearly aren't doing very well right now. But in theory, we saw it last season, you can tell a side how to defend and they should be able to do it. But De Jong... The more broken the game is, the more that's going to be exposed that he doesn't have those internal or natural defensive instincts. And ultimately, you just don't have a Busquets next to you telling you, get there, go this way, shift left, shift right, go forward, press up, press down kind of thing. So yeah, these these players, they're not naturally suited to it. I, I would honestly be tempted just to kind of 
given how, how poor Barcelona have been, given how kind of almost not out of it, but like they're looking at the Champions League kind of getting through and maybe kind of top four, maybe try and finish second eventually. But I would be tempted to persist with Romeo because I just I think it's not like they're getting good play or good results necessarily. The results haven't been dreadful, but it, it's not like they're going places as it is right now. And so, so what exactly are they gaining? Surely it's better to try and kind of improve this systematically and then try and kind of, yeah, find a better kind of formula as opposed to just kind of winging it through. And I think that's something that's been seen with Xavi this season, particularly last season. He swapped play for results pretty consciously, but he did it kind of the whole hog. He said, right, okay, we're going to get results. We're going to knuckle down. We're going to defend well. We're going to control these games and make them tight. And we're going to win in those margins. This season, I think... He started off from a base of, right, let's try and improve the play. Let's dominate these games from start to finish in terms of how we're actually using the ball and let's be the protagonists here. But that's not played out. And then he's kind of tried to shift back to getting those results and it's left them in kind of a middle ground. And ultimately, if you don't have a set formula or a set kind of way of winning games, then that's where the problems come in. And I, I would be tempted to persist with Romeo. I think if you play Gundogan further forward, fair enough. But even stick Christensen in there, try it, because things aren't working for Barcelona right now. So try to change something, because we've seen all three combinations of this midfield with somebody or some two of these midfielders deeper, and it's just not worked. Yeah, and I, I think to that point about the midfield, I want to I agree with you that I think a lot of people also throw out problems and say this is what the problem is, and you agree with that without a solution. and so. As you're saying that, even with the ghost of Sergio Roberto out for the next two weeks, Barcelona only has, what, four first-team midfielders, right? So if Xavi, who before the beginning of the season had said, I, I think ideally even last season, that especially with Romeu, four midfielders was the setup he wanted to use. We saw it in preseason. It's, what he, it's the way he wanted to go. And he had, in theory, six midfielders that he trusted, plus Fermin Lopez. And I, I adding Fermin Lopez to that list... Barcelona really has five midfielders, but Fermin Lopez is such a forward winger. Remember, he was an attacking midfielder or a false nine in the academy. He really is a forward in a high interior position. So he's not going to play deeper. When we say midfielder, I think we really do say a midfielder that can, in theory, play in multiple positions across the midfield line. When, yes, I know Romeo is disqualified because he can only be a defensive midfielder, but the point stands that Xavi doesn't have the depth to play four midfielders right now. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and so to your point, that means you would have to rest or rotate or or sit one of Pedri Gunawan and De Jong who are so much farther beyond what Fermin still I mean does give you as, as a youngster or, or who again Fermin Lopez generally playing as that that other winger though like he's actually been playing as a forward more than a midfielder because the forwards also only have Lewandowski and Miroke at the moment along with Lamine Mall who's not a first team player and so to to go back to the idea too of solutions now you're saying okay but the academy but I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again that on the depth, I know it sounds crazy that Barcelona doesn't have the next midfielder up, but they do. You just have to wait a minute. And I said the high, the high prospects of a midfield position right now, Mark Bernal, who's starting for Barca Athletic and Pau Prim, who's a bench player for Barca Athletic and playing still with the U19s. They're not ready just yet. They're not at the same spot. And so Xavi, we've seen today, even in training, the two names I said in the five headlines, so I pat myself on the back here, Pau Bichter <laughs> and Danny Rodriguez were the two forward names, and they were the two forwards called up to the first team training who haven't normally been training. So 
it seems like Xavi maybe listened. He was like, oh, yeah, those are the two guys. Dan's right here on this one. Um, those, <laughs> Finally. Who are trusted in case Mark Yu still has a fever over the weekend or it still hasn't fully recovered for Alaves on the weekend because now that, again, is only in two days' time on Saturday. Like, that's how quickly this turnaround is. You've got 11th place Alaves on the weekend, then Granada at 19th place in Celta de Vigo, uh, Celta de Vigo in 17th, and then Napoli on the 21st. And that's it. And you're done. But to your point, too, it's like, it, not to say make excuses for players, but to me, I've kind of been lost. And the, the hardest thing about this season in being lost about whether it's, is it player personnel that yeah, it's just like jamming a, you know what I mean? That old, that old toy where you try to jam the, you know, the, the, the square <laughs> into the circle. And it's what it feels like. Cause even De Young, we talk about what he does well. And then people are like, well, he doesn't fit. But how does he fit? Well, he doesn't fit in such a way that De Young, he takes too many touches in transition. And to your point, he doesn't have the, the, the greatest instincts for rest defense. And I think Barcelona's defensively, that is where they've struggled the most this season. That of that midfield trio of Gundogan, De Young, and Pedri, Pedri is the one with the best rest defense instincts. And I think, you know, I know we're using a, a highbrow, but I, I feel like people who listen to my podcast have gotten to the point where you're comfortable with this idea of rest defense. And if anything, that is what I always praise Busquets about. If there's anything, actually, for Busquets and his legacy, he might be the greatest rest defense defensive midfielder of all time. He might be <laughs> the best at that thing. You know what I mean? Like his instincts as to where he should be while his team has the ball in preparation of getting the ball back. He might be the best of all time in that position. And so to lose just that brain and replace it with, again, DeYoung, who I think is a subpar rest defender. Like he is positioning when Barcelona are attacking and he's not necessarily the one pushing forward. His positioning, as you mentioned, it's not, it's not an instinct and it never will be. I don't, I, that's something that I don't know if you can teach because Pedri, even when he came in at 16, Kubin went at as a defensive midfielder at times and his instincts were better than Ped, uh, De Young's rather as to where he should be while Barcelona were attacking and how he would get the ball back. Yeah, and I, I think it's something that we really glossed over, myself included, in terms of the entire kind of Barcelona Barcelona sphere, the entorno, if you want to want to call it that. But uh, but yeah, look, I mean, that loss of Busquets, I think everyone was ready for Busquets to move on and to try and get this Barcelona side to progress forward. Um, and probably Busquets' departure was probably the only way you did do that. But to go from that to... Unless you're playing Oriol Romeu, who, as we've said, has not been trusted, he's lost his confidence, he's down on his luck kind of thing. To go from that to absolutely nothing in the way of kind of a defensive midfielder is such a huge, huge drop-off. Add in if you're playing an extra forward that you're you're going for a slightly more kind of vertical style. Yeah, we, we've seen that Xavi has struggled throughout his entire managerial career at Barcelona to dominate games via possession and via the midfield. He's not set things up necessarily through that unless he's kind of added that extra midfielder in to, to kind of as a safety blanket. So, so yeah, to do that and, and, and go from kind of one to the other so drastically has been, I think, probably their biggest issue this season for me. I, th I think you can you can look at the, the finishing has been pretty poor, the defending has been pretty bad, but ultimately it, it comes back to, the, to that lack of structure, that lack of positioning. And, and yeah, the injuries have been bad, but I, I think... I mean, they were bad for the other teams too. Atleti and, and Real Madrid, I think we spoke kind of before, kind of, yeah, mid, mid 
mid between season uh, season starting and uh, Christmas about how these injuries have been bad for all these other teams. But these other teams, it, it speaks to the fact that they are more of a team or they do have more of a kind of idea or a base or a structure to go to that they're losing these players. And yeah, they're feeling it, of course, but they don't look so ragged as Barcelona do. Barcelona have been relying on individuals much more. And, and yet how, how they get out of this, I, I think kind of looking forward a little bit, the problem for this with me now is that in theory if Barcelona get knocked out of the Champions League, but in general, in these last kind of three months of the season, it should have been a time where Barcelona finally can get some coaching done. They can get some kind of work on the training ground done because they'll have these midweeks free in, in theory. Yeah. Um, but now that Xavi's gone, what are you what are you building towards? Now what are they kind of gonna work towards? Why what's the motivation to kind of work to a system when you know that somebody's probably gonna come in and change it? So so yeah, these players are playing for their positions. Yeah, they're playing for their place in the team next season. But in terms of an actual team structure and team building, either Xavi has got to kind of take a real high road and say, right, okay, I know I'm going, but I'm going to try and put something in place for the next man up, whoever that may be. But it, it's going to be difficult to motivate people to do that. And so now you're stuck in this again. And we kind of saw it last season where they were comfortably going to win the league, but out of everything else, they're going to be in this kind of holding pattern for these last couple of months of the season, potentially, and where it's only top four is the goal. And that happened again in his first season as well. So, so yeah, there's a lot going on. And it, it's, it's, I think, more than anything, that's the thing that's getting Barcelona pe- uh, fans down is because you look at it and you just, right, okay, what have I got to look forward to for these next two, three months of a season, half a season almost? Uh, I mean, we're we're just into February now, so so yeah, that's the biggest issue for Chavi going forward. Is is where what, what direction is this going? Well, yeah, because the the players that you say you want to be building and the ones that are fighting are are just almost too young to be asking them to do that. Because again, like Hector Fort, I didn't think we'd see him more than two or three times in the first team, even in a Copa del Rey rotation. Same thing with Kubarsi. If he made his debut this year at 16 slash 17, I would have been excited. And Lamine Mall, I said, can we leave him around 2,000 minutes? And now he's already going to be probably pushing 3,000, depending on how Rafinha comes back and and the problems that he solves. And I think the fact that Xavi feels like he has a responsibility to everybody else, like it sounds crazy that that Xavi kind of has to look in the mirror and say, I have to play Lamine Mall so that Lewandowski has the best opportunity to succeed. And it's, it's just a, an awful question to have to ask. You know? <laughs> it, it's just, it seems so backwards and reductive. Because your point, like Lewandowski next season, either the club's going to be like, hey, we would love it if you got the heck out of here because you're going to make too much money and you're not contributing. Because somebody mentioned, and this gave me cold sweats, uh, maybe I just am so feverish. I think it's a little bit cold. <laughs> the fact that Lewandowski this season, somebody said that he looks a bit like Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United the second time. And I went, oh no, I think you're right. I think there's something. <laughs> I think that might be true. And the fact that, you know, the, the, these articles come out too, and you and I were talking about this before. So we'll kind of winding it down here that things will not get better. But the worst case for, for Barcelona financially for next summer or this coming summer is very dire. The worst case, I mean, this is where I'll, I'll give credence to that, that as I just mentioned, Vita Roque will have to be re-registered. And because of the exception they took to sign him and add his salary or his wages to the January, to the 2023-2024 fiscal year, that means that this salary that they added were not added to this season, but will be added next season. So Barcelona has to pay his wages 
plus the wages he made from January to June 30th of this year and adding that to that. So that those are just true things that are true. And so Barcelona have issues with uh, Libero. And I do ask, you know, you read about the Barca media, uh, media and the SPAC going to the NASDAQ and how that has uh, fallen through at least up to this point. So they have until April to fortify investors and to get all that working. There's also the, the UEFA disagreeing with the way that they still did their levers and how they registered in UEFA as well. And a fine that has taken Barcelona to court as well as Laporta also worrying about the socio model. And so, I mean, there are cynical things that come up here. Like somebody had mentioned, and this is not a Barcelona fan, I would, I would assume they brought up the idea that if Barcelona were to pivot to basically almost the Bayern Munich model and get away from the socio model a bit or a soft exit from the socio model into what uh, they do with the 50 plus one in the, the Bundesliga and around, around German clubs that Laporta is hanging on to be president for that so that he gets a major payday from potential ownership groups that are taking that 50 plus one percentage of the club, or at that point, 49% of ownership in the club. And you ask, why is Laporta in meetings over in Saudi Arabia and wherever he may be? And so the cynical and fearful parts of that is that is Laporta truly trying to cash out on his Barca presidency? And again, that is the most cynical way of saying this. And as a Kule, I'm obviously going to believe that that Laporta returned to president because he loves Barcelona more than he loves money. But I mean, that's what you're asking people like Xavi even to do. Xavi took a, we'll say a, a managerial pay cut to come and manage Barcelona. And I said, you're almost asking the next manager to do that. So when I read articles like that, Roy, and you're the one who's supposed to be coming on and being non-biased, as I've said, I scope it as these are these journalists who are telling us, this is what I'm hearing. And this is what I'm preparing for you for the worst case scenario. But because I'm reporting it in such a way, if the worst case scenario doesn't happen, and it has not yet happened over the last four years, I keep reading these articles about worst case scenario, but it hasn't yet happened. But in the same breath, there's been no financial improvements. It seems like Barcelona continue to say, this is going to be a terrible summer. This is the worst summer. We can barely register anybody. And so it's more that the worst case scenario is that nothing is getting better more than it is Barcelona is going to continue to have things get worse. Did that all did that all nonsense make sense? I do feel apologies to you and our listeners that my brain is complete <laughs> a garbled mess right now. Please, please Rory save me. Yeah, um, look, it's complicated. It's 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 very hard to kind of wade your way through all of these deals, what these deals mean, when they kind of come into impact Barcelona, how they impact Barcelona down the line, because there's so many things going on. And I think that perhaps will be part of the legacy of this kind of Laporta mandate is the fact that the mud, the waters have become so muddied for Barcelona that it's impossible for anyone outside the club and probably some of those in the club by the looks of things uh, to tell exactly what's going on, exactly what these numbers mean, exactly when these bills are going to have to be paid. And and, and right now, the, the financial situation might not have improved. We don't know. It's less desperate than it was when Bartomeu uh, left the club, but also, yeah, it sh- it should have been improved in these last two, three years. There's no reason for that. And part of the reason is that Laporta, I mean, as you've said in the past and on this podcast, he- he's kicked the can down the road. And ultimately, what his model and Jose Perez wrote a very good, I'll plug this, <laughs> Jose Perez wrote a very good article in Football España recently about it. Laporta's idea is the virtuous cycle. His idea is that you invest now, you speculate right. to accumulate, you win and ultimately, if Barcelona aren't going to win, then you have 
the worst of both worlds and they got that kind of vital league title last season that was very important i think just for for the morale of the club for everything for investors that was huge but if barcelona's gambles don't work out over at least two to three years give you time to kind of improve that financial situation give you time to get those youngsters in get them kind of up to scratch and everything then you're you're left with the worst of both worlds where barcelona haven't improved anything financially. They're still in a dire situation. They have less capital to make money on further down the line because they've lost some of their TV rights. They've lost some of their kind of income from other streams. And you're you're kind of paying these bills without any improvement. And and yeah, how long can you kind of stay at that top level where you're kind of persuading the likes of Gundawans to come in, the likes of uh, Lewandowski's to come in, even though he's earning quite a lot of money but uh but yeah how long can you persuade these players to come in and persuade these people that there is a project if things are failing if you're sacking your manager chabby if you're bringing in deco and giving him kind of full power despite the fact he has no experience these are decisions that ultimately laporta yeah like i can understand i can get the mindset behind his strategy but the backing up of these decisions the way that he's gone about the last kind of 12 months in kind of correspondence with that virtuous cycle strategy, it's not adding up right now. And, well, and yeah. Because it's a risk. That's what it is. And, and I think, you know, somebody mentioned this even about the managerial thing, that winning will solve all problems. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, investors will invest in the club if they win the Champions League. Like, I mean, that's, I mean, it's crazy as it sounds like, but I, and I know Xavi said that he would leave even if they won the Champions League. But if Barcelona accidentally finds a way to win the Champions League because every team that they're going to go up against, somehow they all forget how to play football and they forget how to support <laughs> Barcelona's poorest defense. But I, I almost say it. What if Barcelona accidentally, for the first time in their history, win the Champions League when they're not the best team there? Then I bet you those investors knock on the door the next morning and it's they don't they don't kick any cans down the road and uefa uefa they say all right that five hundred thousand punishment that's that is what it is you know what i mean we'll take that out of your winning pot and we won't continue to find you know we won't look for other sanctions or other punishments and winning rectifies so much of that it's the same thing about even how they can attract barcelona uh, players of barcelona if you ever get to go to the city of barcelona it's always going to be the same thing. I mean, that's what it is. That people, they just, they players want to live in the city and that's not going to change. I mean, any player who's grown up, it's going to be a while for Barcelona. Uh, remember, this is a club that's had its upside, its downs in years, but uh, the way that modern football has worked with Barcelona in the 21st century, it's almost the same thing with even just uh, Manchester United. Like how long can a club be kind of in this weird middle 
you know, are we really a giant in world football before players stop wanting to go there? And the answer is it, they're not. Players want to go to Barcelona. Players want to go to Real Madrid. Players want to go to Manchester United, Man City. Well, that's a new fad, but that's a money thing. But even even the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, like they want to go to these clubs. It's just it's it's what's going to happen. Like in cycles, sure, you have giants rise and fall, but in in the world of global brands, it's just it, it's not going to change. Players want to play for Barcelona, but to your point, can Barcelona even afford them? Right, and and I think that's we're, we're even seeing it with the Lucas Bergvall. You know, he's a 17-year-old from Sweden. We're seeing that play out where Tottenham is saying, hey, we have probably five times the money to send to you, and you'll be a first-team player next year. And Barcelona's basically, their pitch is, all right, you're going to be between Barca Athletic and the first team so that we can register you with Barca Athletic. I mean, basically, it's a registration thing to get around that because we're going to pay you Barca Athletic wages, and then we're saying that you will get playing time because you're a midfielder and you're part of the future. The promises that they can make at the negotiation table are a fifth of what Tottenham can do. But it's so interesting to me that those two pitches are still 50-50 at this moment while recording this because one is Barcelona and one is somebody else. And that's the pitch. And the player is still saying, even though that package, that total package is so much less, all these people in my ear likely are saying, hey, we're adults. We know how to make money. Go go take the take the money. you know." <laughs> and yet this this kid's like, I want to play for Barcelona, though. You know what I mean? You can see it in the decision-making right now. Okay, so last thing here, speaking of money and speaking of careers, on the other side of it, I see it. Aswala is, is gone to base FC, so she is gone from Barcelona. She heads to the NWSL. And I will say, as far as rating her and her time at Barcelona, she was never, because of Jenny Hermoso, she was never really, truly, like, the number one. And then even with the impact of Alexia Buteas and of Caroline Graham Hansen and of the other options that Barcelona's even had and Claudia Pina as well, when she's healthy, that Aswala, she almost doesn't get her flowers because she has been, and we were talking about this beforehand, uh, she might be the most important African footballer, uh, female footballer up until this point. And, and again, it's a continent, especially with the women's game, that is still working its way up. But I want to just make sure that I mentioned her on the show. She's still 29, so she's also some years in front of her playing in the NWSL. With we'll see what she can do with Nigeria, especially on. Unfortunately for them, it's a World Cup stage because just the, the Afcon tournament in the women's game is it does not get any publicity, and it's not yet at the level where it's going to to, to make major headlines. But yeah, I just want to tip my hat to Aswala, who again almost underrated. She had 85 goals and 101 appearances for Barcelona, which is a great rate. But because she wasn't really like, the only time it was really her was when she scored the one goal in the 4-1 loss to Lyon in the Champions League. Because all the other big wins were kind of midfield built or Hermoso built more than they were by, uh, you know, a big moment for her. And I think the lack of those big moments in big games do kind of hurt her. But she was just as important as anybody else in the squad since she arrived in 2019 and has been a part of uh, just an unprecedented amount of success at the club. So my hat is off to you to uh, Aswala. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you mentioned that kind of midfield built thing. She's not necessarily the classic Barcelona forward, or she's not necessarily well. She's not Leo Messi. Um, she's she's not Luis Suarez. So like the comparison is obviously with the kind of Guardiola teams because that's how good this Barcelona women's yeah. side is, and that's the style that they do play. And so when you get somebody that kind of breaks that mold and breaks that kind of style or, or really kind of technical 
kind of soft touch football, then then they're unlikely to get the the flowers or the appreciation that they might have, might do in another side where she's given forty meters to run into every game and she can she can really kind of tear these teams apart. But yeah, the value of having that kind of difference and that kind of contrast and and somebody that can do those things for you has been seen in those 85 goals and 100 appearances, which is a crazy record, especially when you consider a lot of those appearances will have been substitute appearances as well. Yeah. Like you say, she's never been number one, number one, and Barcelona do score bucket loads of goals. But uh, but yeah, Oshwala, probably uh, one, of, one of those players that uh, is going to go yeah to Bay City and BFC and really can absolutely destroy things <laughs> because she yeah. can. I know I'm talking about a, a men's player and a different position, and maybe it's just because it's another African player, but I feel like her legacy at Barcelona is, I hope it's spoken about the same way that Sado Keita has is spoken about, because it, to that point that he didn't necessarily fit the mold of what that Guardiola team was, but I find that the longer we go on talking about the Guardiola glory days, Sado Keita looks better and better. And we every time he's brought up, people just who were there, they... there's an excitement to it. And I hope that we talk about a swallow the same way where no, she's not, she wasn't the headline player because she was kind of different than everybody else. And, but in hindsight, I, I I won't let her be forgotten in what I also hope to don't be the glorious of the feminine. I hope that continues on, but in case, just in case these last years have been the real true glory years, you know, the Guardiola era of the feminine that we don't have to kind of forget her, that we can bring up a swallow as a big part of that. And, and not to fall into the classic meme, which is definitely 100% true, but like dudes can just throw names of old footballers and just like have a great time. But yeah, like Adriano, the the fullback who used to just cut in and score screamers like every kind of two or three months. These kind of tight players that seem like bit part players and like probably don't get the credit they deserve, but they come in against kind of Real Madrid and then put it top corner and nobody really takes any notice. But But yeah, those players are probably what makes the difference between a team that... It's brilliant and it's very good, but doesn't have that sustained success over years and years and years. And it's those kind of players that are willing to pitch in, play some of these games, not all of them. Um, but uh, but yeah, the Seydoux cases of this world, not forgotten. Uh, I mean, Rory, I might give a finger at this point. If you could tell me that Barcelona could side in his prime Adriano and in his prime Seydoux Keita, because if there are two players that this <laughs> at this moment, it is a left back who knows his job and a defensive midfielder like Sadio Keita. So there's two players that I would love to have. Maybe, I made the joke before, but Laporta said that he was going to bring Edgar Davies back. Well, he wanted a player like him, but I think he actually met Edgar Davies at 50 years old. So I'd say Barcelona should probably call up Sadio Keita and Adriano, see what they're up to, and and decide to, to bring it back. But I think that's enough. Because you're right, we could go on and name old footballers until <laughs> So I don't want that to have this what this is going to do. So Rory... Thank you so much for the, your time. As always, it, it's football España. But yeah, what else are you working on? And yeah, what else is going on around the Liga in, in your part of the world that's, that's not Barcelona related? Yeah, pleasure as always, Dan. Love coming on here. Football España is where you'll find kind of most of my stuff. I'm dropping in out of things. If you follow me at Ruri Bar- Ruri Barlow on Twitter, you will find all of that because I will, at least I should be promoting it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's uh, kind of of what's going on of course Girona are the big headline we're doing a lot of stuff with them right now and then there's a lot of a lot of interesting storylines in La Liga this season I mean you've got Sevilla kind of collapsing out of thin air you've got um 
almost kind of in the relegation fight, perhaps, probably. Getafe are kind of coming back and uh, everyone at Barcelona, well, a lot of Barcelona fans certainly hate Jose Bordelas and I, I get it, but he's a fascinating character to have in La Liga, for me at least. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Leti, Athletic, Ernesto Valverde, he's, he's obviously... I think he gets more beloved every day by Barcelona fans um, and his uh, legacy continues to improve and he's, he's doing himself a lot of justice at Athletic again this season. Well, I, as I said, not to pat myself on the back, but I have the legitimate audio receipts that are necessarily <laughs> as everyone thought he was at the time. But again, this is just hindsight and age that we learned from these things. And yeah, speaking of Twitter, my personal account at HealthND13, very close to 2,000 followers. So before that website shuts down, I think that's a nice little milestone to see before they, they close out. But also Instagram, Patreon, Discord, closed Facebook group, merch store, all that good stuff for us. And then podcast app, good ratings, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, also the best YouTube channel to help the show. So thanks so much for listening. Until next time, talk to you soon.